Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Brave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. I'm Ashley Allen, Associate Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and with me is Associate Dean, Dr. Joanna Hersey. Joining us is Dr. Nicholas Negrin Pereira, Assistant Professor of Animal Science in our Department of Biology here at UNCP. Now, get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. Tell us about yourself a little bit, Nico. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, no, my pleasure. And thank you so much for opening this space to tell a little bit, just a glimpse of the research I'm doing. My name is Nicolas Negrin Pereira. Most people call me Nico, like a short name for that. Um, I'm originally from Uruguay, South America, which is a very small, tiny country, three million inhabitants between Brazil and Argentina. Why I'm telling you guys this, because we are in the middle of the Pampas, the Gaucho land, and that is related to some of the research I'm actually conducting here at Pembroke. So that means that, and is related to my position here at Pembroke, I'm responsible for the animal science side of things, uh, which for me has been a great challenge and a pleasure to be working on that. Um, by formation, I'm a DBM, Doctor in Veterinary Medicine in Uruguay. Um, from my early beginnings, I had a strong interest in cattle fertility and reproduction. So I also did a Master of Science degree in Aberdeen, the true Aberdeen in Scotland. We have some other Aberdeen here in North Carolina, of course. Uh, I did a Master of Science in Animal Production. And then I work as an embryo transfer technician in cattle and artificial insemination for 23 years when I decided to do a PhD and a completely change of life from that side of things. So I did my PhD in Fargo, North Dakota, and I worked with bulls after working most of my career with females, with cows. So I kind of changed sexes in the sense of my practice and I started working with bull fertility. And I can explain you why bull fertility. Well, uh, so that leads me to, I guess, my first question. What you sort of said you had already, I guess, always been interested in cattle reproduction. What, yes. what sparked that initial interest for you? Well, we can say that I was beaten by an embryo. The first time I look at an embryo, seven day old embryo, cattle embryo, I was just fascinated by the structure. It's a round sphere, perfect as a football, perfect at most biological structures with a bunch of cells inside. And that is a seven day old embryo, which we call a morula because it actually looks like a blackberry. Um, and it's still free floating in the uterus. So from the first moment I saw that embryo, I said, I want to do this. I want to work with these structures, um, which is so close to the origin of life, right? Um, and then I, of course, always like, I was always uh, very close to farms, cattle farms, beef farms in Uruguay, um, and in Argentina and in Brazil. And I say, yes, Kind of these two things really complement so well, highly specialized training and work and do some research, but also the practical application of things. 
every time I conceive or, or think about my research, I think about applicable research. I, of course, respect basic science. I think it's necessary and great. But what I do, my incentive is, okay, I got the results. I'm going to design a management recommendation for the producers, make it practical. That's me. That's fascinating. And you said you had switched over for your PhD research to look at bull infertility, and that's what you're doing your research on today. Exactly. And that is started because one day driving with my advisor, PhD advisor, we were talking about what I could potentially do. And then he mentioned that no one was actually working with bulls. And then I said, wait a second, why no one is working with bulls? Well, I don't know, Nico, there seems to be no interest in bulls. When I start getting into the literature, there is a kind of complete and unexplained imbalance between the amount of research being done in cow reproduction on the female side, but very little is being done in the male side. So I say, well, why not? And then when you get into the statistics by the USDA, the last one we have, the census is 2017, more than 92% of the calves born in the US are born from a bull. That means that we normally think that they are born, many of them are from artificial insemination, but still the adoption of the technique of artificial insemination has been really slow. So most of the offsprings we have, the animals we see, they actually come from a bull. Okay, Why, how does that relate to my research? On the, on the other side, when you think about the fertility responsibility of a female or a bull on a herd, if for some reason the bull cannot conceive or get pregnant, we will be losing one calf, right? But if one bull has a fertility problem, just to give an idea, we normally use bulls at a ratio of one bull per 25 to 50 females. So in on, under natural mating condition, that means that if the bull has a fertility problem, we will have a much bigger problem. We will have 25 to 50 non-conceiving cows in our herd. So I say, come on, let's pay more attention to our bulls. So tell me a little bit about the research that you're working on right now and trying to determine um, sperm production, is that correct? Yes, basically, yes. Um, well, with this background, I told you about the importance of a bull. I, when I start getting into the literature as a PhD student, and I really, I'm thankful that I had that chance to have the time to look into the literature, I came across a group of cells called Sertoli cells. The name came from the surname of the Italian researcher called Enrico Sertoli, who discovered these cells in the testes. Why, why did I became fascinated by these cells? Well, it's very simple. The more cells, or the more of Sertoli cells, or these cells the bull has established in the testes before puberty, the more sperm he's gonna be able to produce on a 24-hour basis. Why is that? Because these cells are the ones that nurture and hold the germ cells in the testes. They are responsible for the spermatogenesis of uh, the evolution of these from the spermatogonia to the active spermatozoa. And then the other fascinating things about these cells, they, they actually replicate within a very short, narrow period of time, which is from the fetal stage until puberty. 
once they we reach puberty or the animal reaches puberty they stop replicating so that means that we have a short period of time where we might intervene and apply treatments and have an effect on the number of established cells in the testes the more cells we get in the testes the more sperm the bull is going to produce so that was my main line of research uh, as a student and then i've been developing this line throughout these recent years we can say wonderful when it comes to involving students in your research um how easy or hard has that been have you seen that they're really fascinated by oh gosh yeah <laughs> i even had to put a limit and say okay guys i cannot take more yes i mean i they've been incredibly that is a really really strong interest on the animal side here at pembroke i think students are looking for that um, and this is really a good complement because we have of course all the field work when we actually apply the treatments on the bull we castrate the bulls they have hands-on the surgical procedure they have hands-on taking blood samples measuring the scrotal circumference palpating the animals and they're just fascinated and so we go from the field towards the lab where they even received this year we were lucky because all my students could actually participate in a microscopy training session that took place at the biotech unit here at Pembroke um, so they go from again from the field from being all covered in cow you know to actually having operating with a highly sophisticated uh, uh, epifluorescent microscope, right? Um, so one of the techniques I've been developing is the use of immunohistochemistry using uh, immunofluorescence, using antibodies against specific cell markers. In this case, we use Williams tumor one to actually show ourselves. I, I can even share some images with you and show you that, which is kind of really fascinating. So now we're in the process of, we finished, recently finished taking the images. So we're in the process of starting processing those images and making the cell counts. Wow. Okay. So what is going to be the next step with the research? So you're looking at your cell counts. If you find support for your hypothesis, where do you go from here? Well, if we prove our hypothesis and we actually fulfill our objectives, we will be moving forward because the other thing I want to add here, and I don't know if I'm going to move a little bit from with my own perspective of things. And one of the things I achieve, and I think I'm really happy for that, is of course the students producing scientific data, producing posters, and, and they did some presentations at North Carolina Academy of Sciences, at the Pork, Pembroke, and the Graduate Research and Creativity Symposium as well. But the other thing is we are working with other three institutions. And this is really, I think, great because at some point I say, well, I have to start looking for the bulls. I, have, I need a research station. I need the field. I need the lab. I need everything. So I start joining parts and I receive a wonderful receptivity from uh, UNC State. They provided the animals. They provided the experimental farm. And then I've been working with the biotech a unit here at Pembroke with all the microscopy and also with the pathology core lab 
at the Cancer Comprehensive Research Center, Lindenberger, that's the name, in Chapel Hill with our sister university. So this is one of the great achievements with this project. We managed to actually fuse together all these institutions and we're working all together uh, in, different, in the different aspects of this research. If the, as, as you asked, actually, if the hypothesis proves true, we will be moving towards other projects which actually complement this project. One of them is gonna be supplementing lactating calves. You know, the, the, normally a calf is weaned when it's six months of age. So during that period when it's still suckling, the mother will be providing supplements as grains, mainly corn, soybean meal, to increase protein and energy and see if we have an effect on the testicular growth and development. We, we already know uh, according to the literature review we did, but no one has looked at the cytology. That's where I'm interested. And the other one is, uh, you know, North Carolina is within what we call the fescue belt. We use fescue as a pasture for producing our cattle here in North Carolina. And that's the other aspect of my research. I always like to do apply things to the geographical area where we are. Okay, that correspond to our state. So just to give an idea, 8.5 million cattle are actually fed every year on fescue. And this fescue is infected with an endophyte, which is a, a fungus, which produces an alkaloid and produces what we call fescue toxicosis. Well, there is very little work, very little research done on how the fescue toxicosis affects the reproductive parameters in bulls. And that will be also one of my other steps the other institutions especially nc state they are really interested in in keep on pursuing that line of research which i think is great for us and for our students because they interact with students from other universities and you should see those conversations they are amazing they are great have you had a lot of interest from um area like cattle farmers just trying to figure out how they can take your research findings and uh, improve their field. Yeah. yeah. One important funding source for this type of research is the North Carolina Cattlemen Association, for example. They have what, what they call the beef checkoff. They actually charge the producer $1 for every head of cattle that is being sold in the state. And that money is used. This is a fantastic program because that money actually returns and goes to research. Uh, applied research for that. So that's one of the grants or areas I want to explore. And they've been also really supportive from the very beginning. Oh, okay, that's wonderful. I'm sitting here thinking of all of my um, colleagues and friends out there who actually do have cattle. And I'm like, they need to know these things. So <laughs> I'm sure they do, but um, that was fascinating. Uh, when, in, when you're looking at your research up to this point, What's been the thing that's been the most surprising for you? Have you had any of those findings that really caught you the off? The most heart? surprising is I feel I'm moving a curtain of a whole spectrum of new things. I can see, and this is one of the fascinating things of research. Sometimes we are more concentrated on significant differences and effects, but one of the side effects of research, and I think that's great, is looking at new roads to walk down, new lines of investigation that are produced after you finish one research. And that is what happens to me. I have on my whiteboard a whole list of new ideas that come to my mind after every research. And, and I think that's 
the main value of reason, exploring new routes, exploring new roads, and of course, getting information so we can use on the field, uh, applying that on actually practical management. So interesting, Miko. Thank you for sharing all of this about the different interest points that come into it. And I'm curious about our students that are working with you in the field and how they came to this topic of research. What have they shared with you about what brought them to this topic? I think it's the interest for animals. They're dying to work with animals. They're dying to have their hands on live cattle. And I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote. Well, you know, this student, she's a really nice girl. And by the way, she has been accepted to the Royal uh, Veterinary College in London. As, as a veterinary student, Sydney Clayman, one of our, and that, that's one of the most gratifying things, see the students fly high. Anyway. Wonderful. Um, but she was embracing, I mean, she was embracing the, the cattle and the calves and, and another girl, she was a little bit afraid of getting close to the animals. And when you start talking to them, she said that that, that was the first time she came in close contact with cattle. And for me, that's really gratifying. Be part of that bridge between people that might have a vocation for that, but never knew how to, to do it, how to get close to an animal, how to get into the farming world. And that for me is one of the missions I feel more gratifying. Actually linking students with the farming world, but also with the lab and with the science and trying putting all these things together and producing high quality product. That, that's great. What are some examples, Nico, of your students' career goals, like in what they wanna do next? So for example, when you have students who come do research with you, what does that set them up for in terms of their future plans? Well, you know, some of them are still trying to figure out where they wanna, I mean, they, they know they wanna work with animals, for example, or they want, they know they wanna be on the, biological science or life sciences, we can say, but they still don't have clearly in mind. And I can offer them that as well. So they see the whole process from the field to the lab. Some people tell you, no, no, Nico, my, my vocation is on the field. I wanna be with the cows. I wanna be with them and, and touch them and, and work with them, which is, of course, I love that. That is, that is great. Others tell you, no, Nico, I'm a more, I wanna be a rat lab. I wanna be in the, in the lab, I wanna work with the images, I want to work with the microscopy and all that. And that's fine. And that's, I think, is part of our mission here, is show the students. And that's the other fascinating thing about animal science. There is no limit on, on, on the application, where you want to work. You want to work in a lab, you will work in a lab. 
here you will get the education you might need for that in, at Pembroke. And that will open your doors. You want to go to the lab, you, you will be able to go to the lab. You want to stay in the field, you will stay in the field as well. So that's, I think, is in a young mind is to actually push them high as much as I can, but at the same time, show them the different options they have. If there is a career that offers you a place in the industry or a place on a farm or a place on a university or a place on research, that's animal science. And it sounds like you have a mix of students that you're working with, some of whom haven't had a lot of large animal experience, it sounds like, but also mm -hmm. maybe some of whom who grew up on farms. Do you have a mix of that background in the students you're yeah, working with? Yeah, normally, and even in the classroom, you know, I, I teach quite a few courses in animal science, uh, animal nutrition, uh, introduction to animal science. I also teach zoology, of course, with a side, a little bit of a sidetrack on, on using cattle examples and, and livestock examples. And then this semester will be offering the physiology of reproduction, which is my main field. Um, so you can see in the classroom a little bit of everything. People that never got in contact with uh, cattle and people that have been raised on a farm. And I always tell them, don't be discouraged. I'm, I'm not asking for previous experience. In fact, I love to get new people completely out of the field and get them into the field. And of course, it had to be a gentle introduction, um, guided, but that's, that's, again, part of the gratifying work we have here at Pembroke. And of course, my, my main aim is to get this program get bigger and better. I love that. Do you have a favorite moment or story? um that you can share from any of your i mean you've had a long career in veterinary medicine and then sort of making this shift over to academia and sort of this almost two lives and so actually maybe i have two questions because it's like i want to know about a favorite moment or story but i also want to know how your previous work how you feel that makes you better um for where you are now well, I have so many stories, but anyway, but the, all the all these years of of field experience and work has actually given me a broad vision. Uh, even though I'm a specialist in reproduction and a specialist in in embryo and, and sorry and and cattle fertility and in this case in the bull, but I those years of practice also gave, gives me the broad perspective. Because the reproductive technologies are tools, but they are just tools. They should be integrated in the whole production system. Uh, so that's, and probably that's come from experience and from permanent contact with the, with the field, with the farming world. Um, and a special moment is, I, I will recall two things. One is the big smiles you get when and the pride of the students producing a poster or presenting a poster that enlightens their life i think and that's very gratifying for us because it's their job okay it's your product you and that's great to be proud of and the other thing is the uh, happy faces when they hug a, a young calf uh, and that's great because you can see that link between the human and the animals, which of course I love so much. 
Uh, and that's probably the two snapshots I'll, I'll take with me. Those are wonderful stories. And I um, resonate with you. I was just talking the other day about undergraduate research and that mentorship and just getting students into the field in this hands-on applied way. And there's no other feeling like that when you see that you've opened their eyes to a whole new world. And it sounds that you're, you're really doing that um, in a very real tangible way out there in the field. <laughs> and you know, literal you know, field, actually, in the literal field doing that. And you know, actually, and I always tell my students that they are not, they are driving the car. I'm seated on the passenger seat. So if they want to drive a Ferrari, they will. They want to drive a very old model car and 20 miles an hour, they will do as well. And my role is to guide them, make sure they don't crash against the wall, guide them, but they are the true actors here. We are just uh, a tool, an educational tool, but they are the other ones who drive the car. So I always tell them at the same time, it's good to, to like the practical, the field work and all that, but don't forget you, we, you're going to be professionals and you have to study hard and you have to get the knowledge because that's what people will look for you, being the best professionals you can be, but also practical people. That's, that's how I, I see things. That's my perspective. But without always forgetting that you come from a university and you are working hard in college to get a degree, and that's the real value. But again, they are the drivers. I'm just a passenger. I feel like that is one of the huge advantages of UNCP is the fact that we are so teaching focused and because we're primarily undergraduate, those undergraduate students who are, who are passionate and who want to engage in research, they actually get, they have a lot of open doors for them in terms of how much hands-on um, activity they get to do that I don't think you really see in a lot of other places because that tends to go towards the graduate students but um mm -hmm. and that's something that i've heard a lot from our students is just that they feel like the faculty are more receptive to really partnering with them even though they're young and they're trying to figure things out that they have a more personal connection to what they're doing yeah and i think it's from the first day i i got into this position here at pembroke one of the things that really seduced me was the ratio between professors and students. And that actually puts you in a, probably, I, I, don't, I can't think about a, another institution that does that. And that ratio allows you to have a really close contact with your students, know them well, know their goals, where they wanna go, where they wanna, where they come from, or where they wanna go. Uh, and that's of course is unique of Pembroke, no doubt about it. It's a very, special atmosphere. Well, we're incredibly thankful to you and for what you're doing to promote animal science um, at UNCP and to help that side of our huge agricultural program that we're going to build and that we're working on. So I'm so thankful for you taking the time to speak with us today to share a little bit about your research and the passion that you have for student engagement. Um, and I look forward to having you on again for a follow-up in the future. Of course, uh, you're more than welcome. I'll be delighted. And again, I, I really want to thank you for this space. 
uh, for giving me the opportunity to share with you what we are very humbly doing, but of course, always dreaming of a great and big uh, animal science program within the agricultural program. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast was edited and transcribed by Joanna Hersey, and our theme music was composed by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves!